Open your Bibles with this morning, if you would. Luke chapter 1. Starting a Christmas series. We are into that season. What two women knew, talking about how two women that were involved in the early Advent story, Mary and Elizabeth, made observations and could learn and teach us. The reason it's significant is, in ancient cultures, it was understood that women were simple and ignorant and couldn't really do anything other than cook and raise babies. And so, it's significant that God placed women, important women, in important positions, and they can speak to us today. What two women knew, and you can see on screen, God uses lowly men to achieve heavenly results. As always, we pray. Pray for our church family. Pray for this coming year that we might become more effective at reaching the community. Pray for those in our church going through life-changing issues and decisions. Others facing major things that have to happen. Pray for guidance. As always, pray for our nation. Pray for good leaders. Pray for wisdom for the leaders that we have. Pray that God would work to ease the troubles of this day. I'll give you a few moments to pray where you're seated. I'll close and then we'll look at this passage together. Join me, please. Father, again, we worship. We come before your throne of grace in the name of Jesus. We recognize your power and authority, Father. You are sovereign and almighty God. We are your creation, your creatures, those whom you love and have given life. We worship you, Father. We focus upon you in this life. Father, we recognize at our best that the best way we can live is to follow you and yet we struggle we ask forgiveness for those times when we resist your leadership we ask for mercy when we simply do not care Father cleanse us as only you can through Jesus we pray this morning for your presence and work in our lives and in this service teach us from your word Help us, Father, to learn from the observations of two women that were extremely important in the life of this kingdom. We thank you, Father, for using those that were of low esteem, for teaching us that there is value and purpose for everyone. Help us to learn that lesson, Father, to apply it to our own lives and to those around us. Help us to love without restraint. Help us to give mercy and grace. As always, we pray for our leaders. Give them wisdom. We pray for our soldiers and first responders. Protect them and use them to save lives, to bring peace and justice, to help us to stay civil. Father, help us as a culture. It seems as if we are killing ourselves 
We reject everything that can lead to stability and safety and peace. Always chasing the new and exciting. Give us wisdom, Father, and self-restraint. Lord, as always, we thank you for all good things. We recognize you are the author of everything that is worth having. Thank you. Teach us from your word, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On screen is just a picture that represents the beautiful people. You know who the beautiful people are, don't you? It's people that don't look like us. They haven't gotten fat and they look good all the time. You know those people. I remember in college there was always one or two women sometimes, sometimes men. They just look good. Have you ever noticed that? Watch TV. You wonder, where do all these pretty people come from? Even the guys are good looking. What's up with that? You wonder, why is that? Amazingly enough, and you know this, if you're handsome or attractive, you kind of have an advantage over everybody else. You may not like it, but it is the way it is. I came across an article in McLean's magazine uh, survival of the prettiest, the, mis the mysterious power of attractive people. You may not know it, but this has been heavily studied by anthropologists and researchers, and they study the beautiful people. And they wonder why they have so much influence and effect. So I'll give you some obvious things, talking about the different things. This tendency is referred to as the what's beautiful is good stereotype. It affects men and women, adults and children, people of every race, religion, and ethnicity. It applies where the target of our gaze is a potential mate or a prospective head of the government. Now, let me make sure you understand, this isn't a good thing. But this is a thing with human beings. We tend to idolize, to give power over our lives, and give persuasive abilities to those that look good and conduct themselves in a way that is admirable. Whether they are worthy or not is not the issue. It seems to be instinctive with us. They enjoy better success in finding mates. They find easier ways of finding good jobs and so on and so forth. The article points out all sorts of things. New Canadian research proves that finding good-looking politicians of both sexes enjoy a distinct advantage when wooing uninformed voters. So, if you're ugly, don't run for office, in other words. We knew that because we tend not to vote for people that don't look good. I had a conversation with a professional woman years ago, and I remember it because it was so distinct and so hilarious. And she was a well-read, accomplished musician, and she was very intelligent, very capable. And we were having this conversation. It was during a presidential season. This was years ago. And we were talking about different candidates. And I asked her if she would vote for so-and-so because he was the, the candidate for the man of the party that she usually voted for. She goes, oh my gosh, no. He's too ugly to look at. And we were stunned. And then we both burst out laughing because it was so uncharacteristic of her because she was an intellectual. She was intelligent. And so we had this conversation about how isn't it odd that we tend not to vote for people that are ugly and we tend to look favorably on people that are attractive. And we had this conversation and she finally said, well, it may be wrong, but he is ugly. So anyway, there's that. And that's the way of the world, isn't it? You know, I don't have to invent it. The fact that research is confined, it simply confirms what we already know. Attractive people, people from upper classes, 
tend to have more power and influence than those that are unattractive and those that come from lower classes. Now, like I said, it's not a good thing. We are shallow. We tend to look at uh, how people appear and how they carry themselves and those kinds of things. And the beautiful people, per the picture, aren't always the best of folks. You can, I don't know if you can tell from the picture, but the picture was making fun of beautiful people because they both have shark fins. They're sharks. And that's not a compliment, is it? Beautiful people may look good. They may get the nod socially and culturally. But sometimes they're just as bad as we are, oftentimes worse. So anyway, we're going to talk today about how God has a way of using people that aren't the beautiful people. Now, he can and does use the beautiful people. But for the rest of us, we just need to understand that the sermon for today is teaching us how God uses people that aren't the beautiful people. He uses commoners like us. He uses people that look normal. He uses people that act normal. He uses people that are sometimes abnormal. Because he's God and he can and he does. And the way he does this teaches us. Follow along with me in the response of one young woman, Mary, in verses 46 through 56 in Luke chapter 1. This is called the Magnificat. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty things with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned to her home. So on screen, you can see this idea that people naturally tend to favor the rich and powerful of this world. So if we can go to that next screen, Debbie. And what it shows, it's just a very simple teaching that this is just a natural occurrence. It happens in impoverished nations. It happens in wealthy nations. That there seems to be a certain class that gains favor. And they are, and I'm just using this as a collective term, the beautiful people. Mary and Elizabeth understood that. They knew, they thought they knew, that God would only use the beautiful people. Because isn't that the way it works? Government uses the beautiful people. Social groups use the beautiful people. And that's, that's just the way things are. And so it just makes sense that God, following our lead, would use the beautiful people. And yet, God doesn't. fact is... Per the Magnificat, Mary quoted many passages from the Old Testament that said God uses the very people that would not be considered the beautiful people. There are two or three statements here by both Mary and Elizabeth. And you remember the story. Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, the virgin birth. And Elizabeth 
had this miraculous conception and she had John the Baptist within her and they got together and they talked and she, Mary gave this Magnificat which was a quotation of several Old Testament passages and so they got together and they talked about this wondrous thing that God would use regular people so if you would Look at in chapter 1 again, verse 43. And we didn't read this verse, but we will now. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So Elizabeth saying, how in the world do I rate by seeing the mother of our Savior coming to me? See, she understood that she was not a woman of any kind of standing. Just a commoner. And yet here was Mary mother of the coming Messiah and they knew the story and she's how do I rate that because it was unusual that someone like her would be in the presence of a work of God it was only the things that prophets experience and then if you would drop down to verse 48 this is Mary talking for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave for behold from this time on all generations will count me blessed so Mary calls herself a bond slave. Now remember, a slave was somebody who really was literally at the bottom of the heap. There were workers, there were commoners, and at the very bottom were slaves who did the worst kind of work. Bond slaves were a special breed. In Roman culture, for the most part, slaves were there on a temporary basis. They would sell themselves into slavery to pay off debts or to earn uh, citizenship or things like that. But in Hebrew life, if you were a slave and you were committed to your master, you could become a bond servant. And what that meant was you would go and tell the owner that you will stay with him for the rest of your life and he would pierce your ear with a big awl and so you would be marked as a bond servant and it was not a position of honor. It was understood by this time that even though it might have been intended as a position of commitment and covenant loyalty, what it really was was people who were at the very, very bottom of the bottom because they were people who would never be free. Mary called herself a bondservant, didn't she? She understood. She was at the bottom of the social scale. And yet she took it with grace because she understood that the child within her was somebody very special. They didn't know everything about what Jesus would be like and things like that. But they knew who they were and they knew how they rated in the culture and they were at the bottom. Their understanding of the way worked is our understanding Per the article I said or used earlier, it's well chronicled. Interestingly enough, the beautiful people are the same from one culture to another. The eye distance between each eyes and the hip and waist ratios and all those things are almost identical from one culture to another. And everybody has this image of physical beauty. And in every culture, ancient or modern, third world or first world, the beautiful people the intelligent people are at the top of the heap. And again, it isn't right and it isn't fair, but it is the way things are. Humanity seems to be shallow. This is why people who shouldn't be famous are. This is why people who really aren't worthy of our attention get it. And sometimes people who shouldn't be in office are simply because they look good. The woman I talked to earlier was oftentimes very discerning of who to vote for and those kinds of things. But in that instance, she couldn't vote for the ugly man. She just couldn't get past it. And again, we laughed because she realized just how shallow and simplistic that was. 
But she still said, but he is ugly. So even good people do it. So what we have to do is learn from the way God works. And it can be pretty discouraging if you don't realize that God doesn't work like that. Like I said, everybody works like that on the planet for the most part. But God doesn't. And that's the focus of this passage. The Magnificat is Mary's recognition that God uses the lowly to do wonderful things. God has a value system, see, that's based not on your physical appearance, not on your background, not on your ethnicity. God doesn't really care about any of those things. He cares about who you are. Creation of God. It's interesting, isn't it? We see the way God has been working for thousands of years and he is that ideologically pure person who really doesn't notice what people look like. You know, that's what we want. That's who we want to be, isn't it? I mean, I want to be able to relate to people for who they are and not worry about their gender or ideology or identity or anything. I just want to treat people well. And yet, I struggle with the things I've been brought up with, just like you. Things come up into my mind that I was taught decades ago by somebody, and they meant well, and they taught me the, the ideas of the day. But we want to, we want to be better than that, and God shows us how. He gets involved in people's lives. He gives them chances to serve. And the Apostle Paul said it like this, the wisdom of the world is not like the wisdom of God. It's foolishness before God. So the way things operate on this planet are foolishness to God. So when you look at our political system and the way we favor one person or another, and you look at the system of sociology in our culture and in every culture, and you see the way people work, you realize, wow, this is a mess. And that is exactly what Paul said. On screen is a passage of scripture. Read this with me if you would. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. So Paul explaining, all right, this is the way God works. Everybody knew how the world worked. They were in Corinth a wealthy trade city which is where the beautiful people lived because that's where the money was. Everybody understood the system. So Paul wrote to those Christians in that church, listen, you know how it works in the world but this is the way it works in God's kingdom. He's different. He doesn't care how much you have. He doesn't care where you work. He doesn't care who you're married to. He doesn't care about all those things that we use to measure people. None of those things are relevant. Paul challenging early Christians, why don't you learn to think like God? Amazingly enough, if you can learn to think like God, then your life changes because you realize that the way you treat people, the way we separate ourselves in groups, isn't of God, it is of the evil one. When you separate people because of their gender or you think less of them because of their gender or you think less of them because of their background or whatever, or even their educational status, if you fall into any of those traps, what you've done is begun to think like the world. Paul challenges us to think better than that. Still in Luke chapter 1, look at verses 48 and 49. Mary speaking, For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave, 
For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So, here's this young girl, part of this miracle that she didn't fully understand, but she didn't understand this. She was unworthy by social standards of the day. She was a nobody. And yet God had chosen her to do something wonderful. And it was gift. Now how amazing that God would use someone like her. She understood her place. And isn't it tragic that we know our place? She understood her place and yet she understood God didn't care about place. Now drop down to verses 51 and 52. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. In God's way, he brings down those that were the beautiful people. The powerful, the evil, those who got where they did by evil means, by money and those kinds of things. There would come a time when God would make things just and pure. In fact, his, in ancient cultures, there was this understanding that in the Jewish faith they had something special because there was a sense of justice that eventually the good would be rewarded the evil would be punished regardless of who you were and God saw that God saw the hearts of people he didn't judge by who you were he judged by who you were in him very different God's favor isn't upon any one type you can use and choose anyone. On screen is something we call the hope of God's favor. God cares for failures and regular folk. It seems like I'm saying this over and over, and I am. Guess why? Because you sometimes don't get it the first time, or the second time, or the third time. Lecture, application, repetition. Good pedagogy, right teachers? You have to repeat the truth over and over. One of the things that Christians have missed, unfortunately, is that God cares for failures and regular folk. In other words, when you fail, God still loves you. When you're a train wreck, he still loves you. When you messed up that relationship, when you messed up at work, when you shot your mouth up when you shouldn't have, when you did that deed, whatever it was, God still loves you. You may suffer the consequences for those actions, God still loves you. Ultimately, he will save you. Another thing, God works through those that the world may reject or fail to recognize. Not only does God use those that the world has rejected, he loves them and he can put them to work. In other words, God doesn't need the beautiful people. So when people say, well, the church better change because we're going to lose our culture and look in the media, no one's Christian, that's okay. You do not have to think that the beautiful people should be in charge at the church. They shouldn't be necessarily. Who should be in charge at the church? The people who have faith. The people who are pure in heart. The people who open their heart and allow God to work. Whether or not they look right or have that good heritage, irrelevant. God loves. God uses anybody Go that next screen. God's abundance is available to those without power. In just a minute, Nate and I are going to lead you in a song written by somebody we don't know. 
you'll recognize it. It's an old slave tune. You know the story of slavery in America. A story of those with privilege and power destroying people because they can. And yet, the irony of this was, while white people enslaved the African, white people sent preachers to the African, and they received Jesus as Savior, and as they worked and toiled with literally no hope of freedom on this earth, God gifted them with the ability to come up with some of the most wonderful music ever. God uses people who really don't rate on the social level. God leads his people to care. God leads his people to serve. Nate, why don't you come on down? Nate's going to come in, and this will be our closing here. What we're going to do is sing a song that is an old Negro spiritual, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. It wasn't written by a musician. A slave in the field just came up with it. Probably stayed up late one night to come up with the words. I'm sure you'll recognize it. The song sings about how God uses grace and peace to give us relief. There is a ball in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged and think my work's in vain. But then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. There is a balm in Gilead to make wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. If you can preach like Peter, if you can pray like Paul, just tell the love of Jesus and say he died for all. There is a balm in Gilead that makes the wounded Stand with me, please. Written by a slave. Don't even know his name. There are about 170 Negro spirituals just as beautiful. Gifted by God. Not through white folk. But through people who were just the victim of circumstances. Doing the best they could. And God used them at the bottom of the pile 
He loved them. And that's the example for us, isn't it? That we follow Jesus, that we learn from these two women that God uses anybody he wants, and that if we find ourselves judging people by their appearance or by their possessions or accomplishments, then we've missed something. Those two women understood. Would you pray with me? Father, again, we thank you for your presence today. Help us to learn this great lesson. Teach us, Father. Give us loving and willing hearts. Help us to love people that aren't the beautiful people. Help us to love failures, to love those that don't look very good. Help us to be gracious and kind, just like Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.